Shug Show. My name is Brittany Lightfoot, also known as Shug, and I started the Shug Show podcast to learn from the journey of others. I believe there is true gold in talking about our personal journeys. Representation matters, so what better way to see yourself as who you want to be, who you want to become, than to hear how people got there. Ever wondered what some of the challenges and triumphs are for people in the military? What about life after separating from active duty? Life as a pre-professional school student, professional, non-profit CEO, or entrepreneur? Stay tuned as I chat with others about their personal journeys and share my own as I navigate as a veteran on my way to becoming the me I've always wanted to be. Check out my website at www.theshugshow.com. XOXO, Shug. Welcome to The Shug Show. Hey, everybody. We're back for another episode of The Shug Show. I am so very excited to finally release this episode with a dentist. So this is the first of many episodes with people in um, professional arenas that are different than what I'm in and maybe similar to what I will be in one day. I just started school so I think this is a perfect time for me to re-listen to this episode to give me some motivation because school is a beast. So I'm not going to talk you guys head off. Let's get on into it. Welcome to the Shook Show. I'm so glad you were able to do this with me. I'm so super excited for this conversation. Um, but I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself. That way everyone knows a little bit about you. Okay. Um, my name is Pamela Oluchi Ibeko. I am a dentist. I was born in... Um, Houston, Texas, but I was raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I'm of Nigerian blood and descent. Um, that's how I identify myself. Um, and I'm really excited that you reached out to me to have me on your podcast. Thank you. Okay, so Houston born, Charlotte raised, right? Yes. Okay, so... With you being Nigerian, how did that affect you living in Charlotte? Like, is there a large Nigerian population or was it just you and your family? Like, how did that work? Well, I would say like in Charlotte, there's not really a large Nigerian population, but, you know, we all tend to find each other somehow, some way. So, um, you know, I still grew up around Nigerians. I was raised pretty much in a Nigerian household. But um, the way that it kind of affected me is that, you know, we have a lot of rules in our household down to, you know, things as simple as like when your parents have come home, you greet them. Like you're not allowed to watch TV on the weekdays. You know, there are a lot of things that my friends got to do. I didn't have to do. I never had a TV in my room growing up, like things like that that were very common and like maybe like American households, mm-hmm. we didn't have that in our household. So it was really kind of funny. I didn't understand like what my parents, I didn't understand why my parents were doing what they were doing when they were raising me, mm-hmm. but it all, I think 
I appreciate it ultimately. But like in the South, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina is pretty much like the South. Right. So even the way people speak, you know, I would come home and I would hear things at school and I'd come home and try and use that language. And my parents would be like, mm, oh, no, you're not doing that. You know, oh. you don't want to talk like that in this household. Like, you know, so I had to learn to kind of, you know, separate myself socially and academically because I always was required pretty much to do well in school but socially, I was naturally a very social person. So I kind of learned to balance that at an early age. Wow. I've never actually had this type of conversation with anybody mm-hmm. that's Nigerian, but I've heard, you know, just in general that Nigerian parents are very strict and very structured. But I wasn't sure if that was, you know, just, you know, the people that I knew, or was that like Mm -hmm. across the board, but it sounds like there is like your culture is held on to. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, most definitely. They try their best to hold on to it. And to let you know, like my parents always reminded me, like, you're not, you know, because you grow up and you're black in America, because at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, I'm a black woman, you know, and you go through the same thing as other Black women in the South or just in general. But my parents still reminded me, you know, because as Black women, you're reminded, oh, you're different. Mm-hmm. You're always reminded you're different. But as a Black woman who's Nigerian, you're reminded, oh, you're different, different. It's like you're mm-hmm. double different. So you're always trying to, like, identify with people. And, like, it's refreshing when you have people who you can have conversations with and like my sister and I are very close she's older than me she's also a dentist Mm -hmm. and she and I would always like sit and we would sit in our room and just talk because she was my best friend and I was lucky enough to have someone who was like not even two years older than me Mm -hmm. and we would just sit and talk about things we go through that other people don't understand so I feel like it kind of like brought us closer in that you know she mastered um, the balance before I did she kind of taught me that so wow yeah. that sounds really cool though because <laughs> I think like typically with siblings it's not always that way so I think, mm-hmm. I think like maybe your parents already had that mindset that you know you two did need to stick together and and yeah. maybe, you know you would lean on each other and kind of understand because I was talking to my mom the other day and she was saying Mm -hmm. that when I was younger I never understood why she made the decision she made when all my friends were able to I mean I wouldn't say they were able to like do whatever but they their Mm -hmm. parents were a lot more lenient that my mom wasn't that you never understood and you were always so upset because mm-hmm. you, know, you couldn't do the things that your friends were doing. And I'm like, you know, I, I remember being upset because I never understood why I couldn't, you know, like we didn't yeah. have, there wasn't like a lot of conversations. Like I'm telling you, no, you can't do this. And this is why because, it was yeah. like, no, cause I said, no. Right. <laughs> right. I totally agree. Because my dad, I was never allowed to spend the night at anyone's house growing up. Mm -hmm. So, and I didn't understand why. I was like, yo, but my brother could. They would let my brother, but they wouldn't let any of the girls. And my brother's the oldest, and then there's three girls. 
and my parents would never let us spend the night. And I would be so, like, just, you know, dumbfounded by, like, what is going on? But when I went to college, and, like, you know, when you go to college, you kind of, like, have your little powwows with your um, dorm sisters or, like, you know, your roommates. And I found out so many girls or, like, a lot of different girls were, like, molested or, like, Mm -hmm. you know, had some type of um, sexual harassment occur or something happened to them that their parents never knew about at sleepovers. Or they're spending the night at someone's house and they go somewhere else and then something happens to them and they never say anything Mm -hmm. and they kind of live with, like, a trauma Mm -hmm. that I didn't know anything about because my parents kind of tried to hold me so tight and it's not to say their parents didn't but you know people get caught up in different cultures like you only spend the night at like your family's house you don't spend the night at like friends and stuff and my dad eventually told me that he never wanted to tell me why because he never wanted me to repeat why I can't spend the night yeah that's why he never told me when I was younger because he said he didn't want my friends to be offended that he didn't necessarily know how their households were or how they lived or, you know, and it wasn't even their parents. He's like, I don't know if they have an uncle that got out of jail and he's mm-hmm. staying with them or mm-hmm. he's the, your friend has a brother or a cousin that's going to come and spend the night there later. I can't tell them who to have him in and out their house, but I can tell them that you're not going to spend the night, you know? <laughs> right. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like that. Wow, that is such a very interesting perspective because, you know, of course I haven't had that conversation and I never knew, you know, that that was even a concern. But of course, you know, like when we're children, we don't understand certain things that an adult would Mm -hmm. understand, you know what I mean? So I think that's cool that you and your dad were able to have that conversation to kind of give you that insight. You know, it might not have mattered, you know, when you were younger, but at least as an adult, that's kind of something that, you know, in the back of your mind, when you have kids like, okay, well, if I say no, it's going to be no until I'm able to have that conversation and say, well, you know, this is why. Well, that's cool. So you say mm-hmm. your sister is also a dentist? Yes, she's also a dentist. Wow. So <laughs> how did, okay, so how did your, you and your sister arrive upon dentistry? Okay. So it's funny because growing up, my sister, like when we got older, high school, we did everything together, like everything. So we both were cheerleaders in school and everything. And of course my sister left because she's older than me. She's two grades ahead of me, but like not even two years ahead mm-hmm. of me. It's just how the birthdays fall. Mm-hmm. But so she go, she went to college, you know, my junior year and she was like, oh, I'm going to be a biology major because I want to be a doctor, you know? And I'm like, well, I want to be a doctor too. So I guess I'm going to have to be a biology major. You know, that's kind of like- right the mindset we had but she wanted to be a cardiologist so she got a full academic scholarship to um a university in North Carolina and then she and it was HBCU um in North Carolina and she also got a scholarship from a Nigerian cardiologist I believe so that's what kind of pushed her like okay I want to do cardiology and, wow. you know, it's kind of like, so, okay, this is the type of doctor I want to be. But, of course, as you get older and you learn yourself, um, she ended up doing an internship with Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company. 
mm-hmm. which so she became like a pharmaceutical sales rep as a college student, but she would do it over the summer. And it was like amazing. So just seeing her do that, I was like, wow, like, you know, that's a whole other aspect of like being a science major that you're mm-hmm. not really introduced to or even told to told that that's an avenue that you can take. Um, so she eventually, when she graduated from school, they offered her a position, a very, a very good position, and she took it. So she didn't immediately go to medical school. So during that gap year, of course, or that time where she was working, I was now in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went to college, I knew I wanted to be a dentist. But the reason that I knew or the, the, what made me come down to that decision is when I was a junior in high, high school, I was like, I know I want to be a doctor of some sort because I want to prove that I can be what people don't expect me to be. That was more so my motivation. And mm-hmm. then also, um, I've always been into like fashion and clothes and makeup and like, that's really what I've been into. But I feel like people always look at girls who are like that and doubt them to be anything else than like superficial. That's you know what I'm so saying? That's true. That is so true. That yeah. Is- oh, yes. Right. right. So I felt like, okay, well, I'm going to show people I can do whatever. Like I can do hair, I can do makeup because I grew up in, in high school, I did hair. Like, I was a braider. I was a hair braider. So I used to braid everybody's hair in high school. That's how I made money. I never worked at, like, a job or anything like that. I always kind of had that little entrepreneurship going. Mm-hmm. So doing that and deciding, oh, I want to go into a healthcare field, I did my research. I literally typed in Google, or maybe, was it even Google back there? I think it was Yahoo. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all, it, every type of doctor... <laughs> Like I literally for every type of doctor and it came up with this list. It generated this list of every type of doctor, the amount of school it took to become that type of doctor and the average salary of that doctor and the average days per week they mm-hmm. worked. Okay. So I looked at everything I'm talking about neurosurgeon down to like an LPN nurse. Like it was really healthcare fields or whatever. Yeah, so I was like, when I came to dentist, I was like, wow, this is the amount of school it takes, and your average salary at the time, mm-hmm. what coming upon graduation was one hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars at that time. So mm-hmm. I was like, wow, and you don't necessarily have to go to residency if you don't so choose. The average work week was three and a half days per week. <laughs> So I said, wow. So the average work week is three and a half days. The average salary is $150,000. So that means I could have a family. I would have flexibility to be a wife, to travel, because those are other things I care about. And I knew I did not want to be a slave to my career. So that's what made me decide to come to dentist. And my sister and I, we're very similar in like certain aspects, especially the fashion and style aspect. So I, I kind of encouraged her during that time when she was working to consider becoming a dentist. And she found a dentist and started shadowing him. And oh. that's when it kind of like solidified it for her. She was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. So. Wow. That's awesome. That's uh, pretty 
pretty cool story because, you know, especially with your sister being older and then you were the mm-hmm. one who ended up, you know, influencing her to do something. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's crazy. Our story is actually really crazy. There's so much more to it, but we can continue with your questions because I know you have a lot. And I think I'll eventually be able to cover some stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. So how was, well, what um, university did you go to and then what dental school and how did you pick that? Okay. So for undergrad, I went to a school called Elizabeth City State University. Now, Elizabeth City State University is an historically black college and it's in North Carolina. And I knew that I also wanted to go to a historically black college because um, in high school, I was a cheerleader. And um, the historically black college in our city, um, John C. C. Smith University, those cheerleaders used to come and they would help us learn cheers and teach us like um, conditioning and all types of things. And they would allow us to come see them cheer. So I was just inspired, like, oh, my God, I want to be an HBCU cheerleader. That's, like, one of my dreams. Mm-hmm. So, again, like I told you, I'm academically driven, but I'm also socially driven, too. Like, I knew extracurricular, like, I want to do things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, my sister went to North Carolina University, which is, um, you know, she and I are, like I said, best friends. But I wanted to kind of prove to myself because my sister was very accomplished, very academically on top. She had a full scholarship there. Um, I wanted to prove myself that I don't necessarily have to be under my sister all the time mm-hmm. because everyone knew me as her name, insert her name's little sister. You uh, know what I mean? Yeah. So they would call me so-and-so's little sister. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't really mind it until I got older and I realized, gosh, like I had to establish my own identity. Mm-hmm. So I actually got a full academic scholarship as well, but to Elizabeth City State University. So I just kind of like, uh-huh, I won't have to owe any money, so I might as well go here. Right. So that's how I made the decision. But also they had um, biology pre-dentistry as one of their programs. So it was kind of like a no-brainer. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to cheer. <laughs> and that's what I did. So I went there for undergrad, and then for I did my master's program um, at – Bear University, which is in Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did my doctorate in dental surgery at Howard University. So, again, another HBCU, which, I mean, I just believe in supporting the historically Black colleges because they provide us with so much support. So I, I'm gung-ho for them. Wow. That's awesome because <clears throat> I always – wanted to go to an HBCU but my for undergrad I you know because I was in the military so I went to Mm -hmm. one of like the military affiliated schools okay well Mm -hmm. actually a couple of them and then Mm -hmm. um when I was in Tampa Mm -hmm. the school that was also affiliated with the military their actual main campus was close to the Tampa area so I actually went there and I finished but I'm considering nice. an HBCU maybe not for the prereqs because I need to mm-hmm. see like in January but mm-hmm. for dental school I'm definitely looking I definitely I recommend it I definitely recommend it and if you are considering even if you consider um 
I loved Howard, I will say, not only because we have a dental school, but we also have, there's also a medical school at Howard. There's mm-hmm. also a pharmacy school at Howard. There's also a law school at Howard. There's also, there's also multiple PhD programs at Howard. So it's literally like, that's why they call it the Mecca, mm-hmm. because we have all the programs and most of the people are melanated people. So it's very inspirational, even when sometimes school can get depressing and very be very difficult. But when you see people that look like you pushing through and doing it and accomplishing things, something in you just says, I can't disappoint my people because mm-hmm. from this point, we split up. And we're never going to be, like, there's never going to be a time like that again where we all see each other, you know, pushing through and going through the process of trying to become something great. So that's what I liked about it. But also, let's say you go to a school for, I mean, this is just my advice to you. Mm -hmm. If you go to a majority school for dental school, that's fine. Because you can also go to um, one one of the top schools for getting African-Americans and Africans into medical school and dental school on the undergraduate level is Xavier University, mm-hmm. which is a historically black college in New Orleans, Louisiana. So Xavier is very well known for that. The top master's degree program for getting people, I don't know about African-Americans, but just people in general into medical and dental school is my master's program, Barry University. Mm-hmm. So they, and that's in Miami, Florida. So if you consider, you know, those are two schools that you can consider as well because, you know, they have a rapport with programs already. Right. So a lot of times when your school has a good reputation, they look at your application more, like, you know, they consider you a little more because they're like, okay, it's one of their people there and they we, they prepare us pretty well for these programs so you know we can finish or have a, that good knowledge base wow that's awesome so I was actually supposed to go to Xavier every time I hear someone say Xavier I get a little sad because I was supposed to go to Xavier and then I ended up joining the military so I always think like should I reapply and just go mm-hmm. but I think if I wait another application cycle I'll be I, I won't be too far off but it's it's definitely mm-hmm. time for me to go ahead and and get in school you yeah. can. and remember you can always start like spring or fall you know don't try and be the traditional person just get in the classes you can get in you know and then some of which you might take classes outside places or like let's say if they have another school around like just take your prereqs the way you get them in the way you can mm-hmm. and then prepare yourself like maturity wise with managing stress with discipline and studying because those are aspects I don't think that becoming a dentist or a healthcare professional a doctor has as much to do with intellect as it does to do with discipline and persistence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't really consider myself to be like, oh, I'm so smart. I think I work hard. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think I work hard to gain knowledge to a 
apply it so that I can be what I desire to be. But I don't think like, oh, I'm a brain. I'm not. I'm I'm kind of all around. I'm more of a best all around person than a brain in one way, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, I have my nerdy side and my studious side where I will shut life down to accomplish what I want. I will not socialize. I will isolate myself so that I can be zoned in. Mm-hmm. But then I have my side where I'm like, no, I want to have fun. I'm going to travel. It's time to turn up. Right. So. <laughs> okay. So how did you, when you say like your study habits and being disciplined, when did you finally learn like your best study habits and what works for you? Was that an undergrad, your master's program, or was that when you got to dental school and did did those things change over time? Okay, that is a great question. Okay, so I learned how to study in my master's program, but I mastered how to study in dental school. (laughs) And when it came to undergrad, all I had to do was read. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just as, as long as I did my part, read and did my homework and just study for exams, I was pretty much good, you know, but that's because high school is actually really where my upper level education started because I was in what's called an international baccalaureate program. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. So I did a program called ID where I went to a math and science high school and it was uh, like ranked number 17th in the nation, my high school, but that was number 17. It was a public school. Mm-hmm. So, but it was just a public school with a lot of um, international baccalaureate programs or, and AP advanced mm-hmm. placement courses. So I was taking like college level courses in high school. Mostly all of my courses were that. I think all of them were actually. So when I went to college undergrad, I understood studying like, or I was disciplined enough to sit down and study the day before an exam all day. Okay. But mm-hmm. then in that's in, at the bachelor's degree level. So when you hear a bachelor, just like you think of a man who's a bachelor, he's single. He's general. He's kind of general, like he can do what he wants. It's kind of like he might be committed a little bit, have a girlfriend, but he's still technically single. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he's unmarried. But then you have like a master's degree. A master's degree is saying that the information you've learned, you, you know it well. You can be, you can write a dissertation on it. That's why they ask you to do like, you know, a thesis or a dissertation mm-hmm. and you can present it in front of people and they can question you about the topic and you can answer their questions about it. So master's degree level is when I learned how to study, meaning this, I have this exam next week and there's so much information on it that I have to study every single day this week. And I need to be looking up questions. I need to create my own test questions for myself. I need to think potentially when I'm reading what could be asked to me and in what way could it be asked. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not just reading. I'm anticipating questions and I'm looking at different angles of where I could be tested or different ways to explain or express this information 
So that's like master's degree level. Now doctoral, that's a whole nother level in itself. Mind you, I've taken the classes. The classes I took in my master's program, I mm -hmm. also took them in dental school because I did a master's of biomedical sciences, which biomedical sciences is the basis of medical and dental school. So I took histology, biochemistry, um, physiology, anatomy. Those courses I took at the master's level and then again at the doctoral level. They were much oh. more difficult at the doctoral level because of what they expect you to know. The amount of information you cover per seating, you in one week of dental school, you will cover one semester of material. Whoa. One semester of material that you would cover in like undergrad or something. Each week. One and then semester? One semester, my darling, and I'm not exaggerating. So the thing is you don't realize how much your brain can hold until you're forced to do it. So you start, again, like I said, bachelor's is general. Master's is you can, you know, think more critically and express, like, answer people's questions. Doctoral level means you can teach this material when you're done studying it. Mm -hmm. That's why any doctor, when you're done with the medical school, dental school, anything, you can go back and teach. You don't have to get a teacher's license necessarily. Like, you might have to get, like, certified, but it's just mm -hmm. an application. It's not like, oh, I have to go and get another like study for something else. No, you just have to get certified and get like your paperwork done. But you can teach anywhere in that information that you have because you're a doctor. Wow. So that that's the difference between each level of education is that the expectation and the ability to regurgitate. It's oh, it's so many different levels. I took biochemistry in undergrad. And that was a joke. Like, when I think back, I'm like, oh, it's not a joke, but it was so hard to me. And then I took it at the master's level, and I was like, these people are insane. Why do they expect me to know this? Right. And I took it at the doctoral level, and I cried, like, every week. <laughs> wow. Because it was very difficult. It was very difficult. I don't but think I anyone... Made, made yeah, no one's ever explained it to me that way, Ever. So I really yeah. appreciate that because my eyes are like wide open, like a semester <laughs> in a week, answering, yeah. anticipating questions. Like that's, oh yeah, that's pretty intense. Yeah, it's intense. But you can take, the good thing is you can take everything I'm telling you because no one told me this. Right. So I'm glad I can share it with you so that when you're studying, you already know like, oh, let me highlight this. This seems like something the professor would ask. But you know that after knowing the professor. Right. Which is a whole nother thing, girl. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> that's how to that's how to master like schools in general. You know, we can have that uh, conversation just you and I separately. <laughs> okay. That sounds cool. Okay, so do you have a connection to the underrepresented in your community? When you say connection, do you mean like um, well, let me just answer. I'll answer the question how I'm taking it. Okay. And then you can kind of let me know if I'm going in the right direction of what you want to know. Okay. So 
my connection with underrepresented, I didn't really understand what that meant so much growing up until I was like in middle school mm-hmm. and I had, I had a really bad skin growing up. Okay. So my mom took me to the dermatologist and the dermatologist walks in and she is a black woman. And me and my mother were kind of like, oh my gosh, you're the dermatologist? <laughs> and she's like, yes. And we're like, my mom like high-fiving the girl. I mind you, I'm in middle school. My mom was high-fiving the girl. Yes, honey. I'm just so proud of you. My mom was like telling this girl like she's her daughter. Like, mm-hmm. I'm very proud of you. Thank you for being here because your skin is like ours. You know, you'll understand us more. And that was the first moment I told myself, wow, I never noticed how many people aren't Black until you see someone who is Mm. in healthcare. Because I go to the doctor annually. I don't ever see anybody Black unless maybe they're a nurse. Right. You know? Yeah. So when I saw that, that was my first idea of underrepresentation. And that kind of triggered me at a young age. Then going to the beautiful thing about going to like my master's program, Mm -hmm. um, I was able to like have leadership positions. And one thing I did, oh, well, let me take back actually to um, undergrad. I did a program called HBCU Rise. And it was for historically black college students who wanted to elevate themselves and do research. So now it kind of taught us how to research, how to present and do things like that because a lot of times we're not necessarily taught how to do that Mm -hmm. or like some of our schools don't have the resources to do that. So going to an HBCU made me understand um, you're here right now, but the world is not like what you're being educated in. So we're preparing you for when you get out of here who you're going to have to compete with. Mm-hmm. So that was another connection I had with underrepresented. And then in dental school, I did a lot of community service because we were required to at Howard University. One of the things we focus on is truth and service. Mm-hmm. And truth and service is, of course, you know, as an HBCU, a lot of underrepresented areas and communities. So I would find my, I even did more hours than was required of us just mm-hmm. because I was close with um, our person over community service. And I really enjoyed actually going and doing that. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. wow, like I want our people, I want black people, Hispanic people, you know, brown people to see people that look like them in positions that they didn't really know they could reach. That way, they're not only motivated, but they're educated and they're more like, you know, triggered to listen. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people don't, like, you know, I just explained it to you and broke down something. He's like, no one ever explained it to me like that. I feel like one of like my strengths or that I learned one of my strengths are, are explaining complex things breaking them down to be understood. And I love that because I love to do that for my patients. 
Mm-hmm. When I know, I can see my patient's eyes when they don't understand what I'm saying to them or, or if they don't understand what another doctor is saying to them. Mm-hmm. So then I'll ask them, you know, did you really understand what she was saying? Because I can explain it to you like a little bit more simple or make it a little more simple for you to understand. And they'll be like, yeah, I mean, is she saying this? And I'll be like, yeah, you have the concept, but this is the reason why. And they'll be like, wow. You know, yeah, that's I important. need them to have that. Uh, yeah, they have to have that aha uh, moment to connect with the information so that they'll become more, you know, compliant and get their habits together to be healthier. That's huge. That is huge. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah so I so thank you for sharing those stories. I think that that the that first experience that you had when you were in middle school, I think it was an impressionable experience on you. So I think that kind of, you know, like you said, it tailored what you saw was important because you realized that was something that was missing, you know, in your day-to-day life. And so now you, you know, you're working to, to be that and to provide that. So as a dentist, are there any like opportunities that you provide for others or, or ways that you, you know, um, join together with others to give back to be able to do that same thing? It's so funny that you asked this question because I do this informally for a lot of people. It's so crazy. (laughs) There have been numerous people and I guess it's because like, that's why I opened my Instagram. That's one reason why I opened it. But there's been numerous people that slide in my DMs about dental school mm. or about dentistry that are on the undergraduate level or younger. They have questions or people who, oh, I want to go to Howard, you know, or I'm trying to get into dental school. I have helped, I can say at least 10, maybe more people get into dental school just by them either DMing me or me being somewhere where they are. We had this um, program at Howard, which they have at every dental school, which you should attend. I'm not sure if you've attended Impressions Day. Mm-mm, not yet. Okay, so you have to go to Impressions Day at different schools. Go to like as many schools as you can. If you can go to their Impressions Day, go, because you'll learn a lot about the university, the day-to-day of dental school students. And I remember going to Impressions Day when I was, because I don't know if I told you this, but before I, after I graduated from undergrad, I worked for four years before going to do my master's program. So I didn't do like the conventional, like go straight through. It was, a, no, it was nothing like that. I, I had a career. I was actually an allergy specialist. Impressions Day is something that is really important to attend. And I would always volunteer for Impressions Day. And I would speak at Impressions Day. And after I spoke, people would approach me and be like, no, I really want to get in dental school. And I, I can always kind of tell who's serious and who's not. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So if I feel like they were serious, if I feel, feel like they're not, I'll give them advice. But I can always tell afterwards who's serious and who's not, and they will keep in touch with me. Uh, and I would tell them, keep in touch with me. Update me. Because there's different advice for each step. Mm-hmm. because it's it's a lot like right now you're at the you're at the point where you're doing prerequisites so I can tell you 
pay attention when you're learning your prerequisites because those prerequisites are what's going to help you perform on the DAT. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So even start looking at DAT questions as you go through um, like each course. Like let's say you're done with a semester and be like, you know, let me uh, get that DAT program. I like, I am a stickler for crack dads. I love it. I mean, they should be paying me because I always tell everybody to get crack dads. Mm-hmm. But um, crack dad has really good um, like test questions or like practice exams. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that you can use and they break it down per section. So let's say you're done with your um, OCHEM. Like after you're done with, um, yeah, the organic chemistry, mm-hmm. you can go and like start doing the practice questions for uh, dental school or dental school admissions test. That's the DAT. So if you do that after each course you're taking, you'll prepare your mind for how to take that exam. That's something I never did. I never knew. No mm-hmm. one ever advised me, but that's something I would advise somebody like you. So I think I kind of break down my experiences and advise people based off that. So that's kind of how I've helped underrepresented people because they're always asking me so I just kind of dedicate myself to giving advice um I I think it's important to pay it forward also because my sister got in dental school before I did we actually applied that same year she got in and she got in and I didn't get in Mm -hmm. and it was an interesting experience that's when I decided to go and do a master's program and just that, I, I'm so happy it happened because I grew so much during that time period and to where I can give people advice. And, you know, when I went to dental school, I had my sister to give me advice. And I feel like I just want to pay it forward. Mm-hmm. So that's why I do that. Like, I'm just, I have to help someone I was helped, you know. That is so awesome. And I, of course, I'm one of the the big thank yous. Like, thank you for having your Instagram open because if you hadn't, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, have this opportunity to talk to you. So I do think that it's awesome that you are so open and you're so willing to help and you do pay it forward. I think that's so important because, you know, the the younger generation, you know, we're, we're going to keep coming up, but if we don't have anyone to right. help us or to help guide us or to, you know, even give us little tips, like you just told me to go to all the impressionies. I didn't, you know, yeah. know that I should go to more than one or go to, you know, so that just yeah. even that little bit of information is so helpful to me in my journey. And so I think it's amazing that you value that and you're open and you're approachable because just because you have the information or just because you you know may be willing to pay it forward in certain settings you're approachable to everyone so I think that's that's amazing so thank you thank you I try my best and I appreciate um one thing I tell people who I help every time they're like oh my gosh like I don't know how I could thank you. And I always tell them the way you thank me is when someone comes to you asking you, you advise them like I advised mm-hmm. you. Because I can't do this for everybody, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I need somebody to help me till the next group, you know? And things change as you get older and, you know, I'm not going to be as hip to what's going on in professional school as I matriculate through my career and as you know I progress I'm going to be able to give more so career advice 
mm-hmm. after some time. So, you know, it just changes, you know, the educate as you educate yourself now, I feel like my I'm at a point where it's shifting. You know, right now I'm in residency and I have a whole new like view on things now that I'm in residency. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. But it's helpful again because my sister's a dentist and she's giving me advice career wise and you know, it's just amazing. It's actually it's an amazing journey, but it's very difficult, I will say that. And very humbling. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Okay, so how's your residency program going? And um, what kind of residency program are you in? Okay. So I am in a general practice residency, meaning I'll be a, I'm a general dentist right now. And, you know, basically my program is a hospital-based program, meaning that I'm on call sometimes. I'm on call eight days a month. Mm-hmm. And out of those eight days, I'm required to wear a pager. And I can get paged any time of the day, any time of the night. So it's 24-7 call for eight days. So answer to trauma calls, meaning like if someone were to get in a car accident and fracture their teeth, mm-hmm. we have to come and, you know, we treat them. Either we remove the teeth or we split the teeth, meaning like hold them in place mm-hmm. so that they can like fuse back together and then they get definitive treatment after they leave the um, the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Um, we see also like a lot of people who are like getting transplants, so like heart transplants, kidney transplants, lung transplants, we have to grant them dental clearance, meaning their oral cavity has to be infection free. So they can't have any type of large cavities, any type of left, um, we call them retained roots, meaning mm-hmm. like, you know, your tooth were to break and stay in your mouth. That is actually like a very good environment for bacteria to harbor. And, you know, people don't really understand until recent, people have not understood until recently how important your oral cavity is because your oral cavity sits between your brain and your heart and all the vessels are connected. So a lot of times, you know, there are conditions that are exacerbated and we are the dentist in the hospital or at the hospital, but we also have a clinic mm-hmm. and we, we just have to like, you know, tend to these patients who are either hospital bound, inpatient, or patients who come into the emergency room and need help dentally, like they might have an abscess or you know, big swollen face and we have to incise and drain it and mm-hmm. um, extract or, you know, we just have to assess them and we have attendings or, you know, other experienced dentists who we are able to call and inquire and ask questions who like help guide us mm-hmm. on what to do. Um, it's definitely um, taxing at times because being on call, it's just, it's not, you're never really settled because you never know when that page is going to sound off. Right. But it's very, um, it's like, it's cool because you help people. And, you know, I love helping people. So when you're done and your patient's looking at you like, oh, my gosh, like, thank you so much. That's the moment where you're like, okay, this is why I do this. Like, this is why I'm reminded. Yeah. But, and then we have the clinical aspects. So highlight private practice where we are working eight to five every day. Mm-hmm. And we see 
we have our own like patient who we do normal um, care on or, you know, people who need crowns or people who need dentures or people who need fillings or implants, you know, all that type of work. But mostly we do like, we see a lot of medically compromised patients. So patients with diabetes, heart conditions, um, sickle cell, lupus, all those conditions. So we do a lot of medical consultations with other doctors or, you know, physicians of different specialties. We have to communicate with them a lot about how to treat our patients. Because a lot of our patients are on so many medications that some, they have to stop before we treat them. Um, Or they might have like a blood disorder. So they could bleed out if we like do an extraction. So we have to have them either start taking the medication or, you know, take a pre-medication or antibiotic or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot. You learn a lot. Though, so it's cool. Wow. Okay. So I have two questions from that. So what does that mean after you finish your residency? Are you going to be like one of the dentists that works at the hospital permanently? Or is this um, just something that you wanted to experience that maybe down the line you'll pick back up? Yes. Okay, so that second answer is more so. Okay, so basically one thing I wanted to learn is how to treat patients who are not just cookie cutter healthy. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of, unfortunately, like the United States, so many people are healthy and unhealthy. So if you're only limiting yourself to healthy people, you're kind of doing a disservice to a lot of people. You know what I mean? Right. Also, in my program, we learn how to do different types of sedation. So, like, using what's called, like, you know, you people call it laughing gas. Mm-hmm. It's nitrous oxide. So, like, I got my certification in nitrous oxide since I've been in, you know, residency. And, you know, so that's good. So now when I'm in private practice, I can use nitrous as long as I maintain my uh, licensing for that. Mm-hmm. And then, like, um, it means, like, after I graduate, it just means I have a certain knowledge base that I can use to treat my patients. Like, there's certain procedures I'll learn how to do here that I didn't learn in dental school because they don't, dental school is four years, year round, but it's still not enough time to teach you everything that you can offer your patients dentally. So that's why we have what's called continued education courses or CEs, um, which means it teaches you how to do kind of specific things that you might want to offer your patient and, and you kind of had the opportunity to further educate yourself. And then if you're feeling confident enough, you can start offering your patient that services. I mean, those services. So oh. it's cool. Um, I think that at one point, I don't know if I'll be like an attending or anything, but I wouldn't mind teaching like a course in a dental school, like maybe not a course director, but I would mm-hmm. teach, give lectures, give a lecture of some sort. I think that would be cool. Hmm, that's pretty. Just to like help people understand certain aspects better. I think that would be great. You know, maybe when I'm in dental school at Howard, yes. <laughs> you can come on. I'm gonna give you a lecture. Yes. And I'm calling you to raise your hand and answer a question for me. Yes. I might even give you the answer to the question before. So nobody knows that point. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. But yeah, so you, you answered my second question 
in your answer for the first. I was going to ask um, if you think that the majority or a large portion of the population is on, you know, several medications and if, um, you know, when you are in private practice is is your residency knowledge what's going to make you think like, okay, well, all of these medications that this patient is on, let me, you know, call their physician and see how yes. this may, you know, does you think yes. that that's opened your mind more so to, you know, drug interactions and yes. other things that you may not For sure. For sure. That's exactly what it has done. And See, for you, you actually are in an advantageous position. I don't think you even realize it, just being in the military. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many programs you guys have dentally in the military that they don't even offer people like me? Yeah. Have, you guys have fellowship programs. They, you, you guys have fellowship programs that a lot of people are not really introduced to. And you don't have to stay military, but... um. I'm just thinking, and I know some people who are military who get experience. Like I, one of my closest friends um, in dental school, he was in the military when we started. Mm-hmm. And so he used to go, he, of course, you know, we're at Howard. So he would go on base and learn certain things. When we were learning about how to set teeth and do dentures, he would go and consult some of the dentists on base. So he was learning oh, wow. different skills. Yeah. So it's like you had that opportunity to do that. You know, so it's cool. And then also there's a large military population um, in dentistry. A lot of them did military. And even with you, you're African-American, but they would respect you because you're military. Mm -hmm. You know, even like the white men, you know, the white men, the white women who are also military, the, you know, all different cultures who are also military, y'all are your own little organization right. so it's like you would probably get opportunities and learn about things that a lot of people wouldn't be able to learn so that that's actually pretty cool yeah I didn't think about it that way I know um you know because my plan all along was to you know finish my bachelor's do the prereqs and then apply to dental school and then do the scholarship program where yeah. I come back and do the four years. And third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I want to get to 20 eventually. Yeah. So yeah. I would just, you know, go ahead and do it that way. But I didn't think about, you know, while being in school, you know, you oh, so beneficial. That access. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. So access. beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So beneficial. Even if you, like, let's say by the time you're done with dental school, you're ready to get out of the military. You're still mm-hmm. going to have military personnel that you know beyond who we know who can direct you in ways and they know people. It's just, it's just crazy. Like, your network is pretty golden. So don't feel like, oh, my God, I've been set back or, you know, I'm in the military instead of going to Xavier. Everything happens for a reason. Girl, I went and worked when I graduated undergrad. Then I went and did a whole different career for a few years before going to my master's program. And then I finally got my footing. And, you know, now I'm here. And I'm seven months out of being able to practice. 
you know, I have seven months left in my program and I'll be done. Awesome. Okay. So tell me about your first career. Like, what was that like? And then what was the turning point where you were like, okay, it's time to get into a master's program and proceed in the show? Okay. So I was a clinical allergy specialist. And that's where I worked in a physician's or different physician's offices, depending on where my company placed me. And what I would do is I had my own, like, lab where I would test their patients who had really bad allergies. Because a lot of people who have bad allergies, I mean, excuse me, really bad allergy and asthma. A lot of people who have asthma, they really just have allergies that Mm -hmm. trigger them to have an asthmatic attack or some type of difficulty breathing, they have what's called a hypersensitivity to Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. It could be an indoor thing like dust or outdoor thing like pollen or certain trees, certain, you know, ragweed or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I would use like this testing system that my company created and I would test them. Once I learned what they were allergic to, I would go in a lab and make their medication. So I would make oh. their medication was a natural medication is made of antigens, okay, different antigens that they made in like the form of serum. And um, the medication was, ba- the base of the medication was saline. So it was a saline-based solution or medication, I should say. So the way that we would administer this medication to our patients was via injection, okay? Mm-hmm. So... I would teach the patients to inject themselves or I would teach their parents how to inject them. And basically this, um, we would dilute the solution down mm-hmm. like by 10 times 10. I think they had 10 different vials. And then we would give them the lightest dilation first and then we would build them up. Eventually they would develop like um, an immunity to what they were allergic to. So it was really cool. I loved, I loved that career because it was my first, um, my first experience having my own patients. Mm-hmm. Um, my first experience, they kept, call, they would always call me doctor because they thought I was a doctor, and I'd be like, "No, you can't call me doctor. You know, I'm not a doctor yet." <laughs> right. But it would remind me that I need to go to dental school. You know, right, yeah. because that's what I really wanted to do, and it. I was taught how to like verify insurances and all these type of things, which will all be beneficial to me when I'm in private practice. So mm-hmm. I learned a lot of, a lot of good lessons there. Um, I learned how to interact with patients. Patient care is big. It's how you, you know, are able to keep and maintain your patients, mm-hmm. learn to make them happy, learn to deal with difficult patients. Because I was actually um, at one point a pediatric, allergy specialist so I dealt with children and their parents which can be difficult but Mm -hmm. I just learned like to read people quickly so I could tell oh this patient's going to be difficult oh this patient I need to not be in their face I need to be give him distance and ask him when he wants me to give the injection that he's going to count down for me or this patient I need to tell him he can look at me while I do the injection then he'll feel more in control or you know or this patient she's so fearful I'm going to give her a breathing technique to you so she focused on breathing instead of on me doing the injection you literally have to look and read these patients 
And that's how I look and read my patients now. Like in dentistry, I still kind of use those skills that I learned as an allergy specialist. But yeah, the turning point was my third year of being an allergy specialist. And I had a really bad day at work. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily with my patients, but with the staff around me. And I was like, I'm not even supposed to be here. Like, I told myself, you're not even supposed to be here around these people. Because unfortunately, you know, a lot of physicians' offices, you have the physician, but you also have a lot of people who aren't as educated or as tactful. So sometimes you have, like, medical assistants Mm -hmm. or people. And sometimes it's unfortunate for me to say, but it can affect how people behave. Or that's just what I thought. Maybe it was just the office I was in. I don't know. But long story short, had a bad day at work. I canceled all my patients and I applied to like four master's programs. I contacted my professors from undergrad. That's another thing. You should always do things. Contact with your professors. Email Mm -hmm. them like every like half year just to check on them, see how they're doing. Those people wrote me letters of recommendation saying day. Oh, Back them to me. I Oh, same day. I was like, they were like, one of them told me to, you know, it, it's like you just have to maintain good relationships with your professors. And they, they're very supportive of me. So when I got into dental school, I always let them know what I have going on. When I got an inter- internship, I let them know what I have going on. When I, you know, started uh, in residency, I emailed them, let them know what I have going on. It's important just so that when it's time for you to advance, you, they feel like they are part of your journey. Yeah. And they are. So, yeah, that was my turning point. Had a bad, bad day. And I, I knew that that was not my final destination. And I had to get I had to get out of there. Wow. That's awesome. So, number one, that is a really cool sounding job. And yeah. it sounds like it's going to continue to pay dividends for you, you know, for the rest of your career. Like, being able to teach yourself how to read people and how to read patients and how to, you know, soothe them or comfort them. And that's really awesome. So, is there like a... If not that job, is there another job or opportunity that you would recommend to be able to learn those skills? Yeah, my sister, she was a pharmaceutical sales rep. Um, So I would recommend any type of job where you interact with healthcare um, providers or healthcare systems or industry. So like medical device sales. Mm Mm-hmm medical equipment sales, which medical devices, like things like heart pacemakers, like things you put into people's bodies, even like IUDs, I think it's considered a medical device. Mm-hmm. And then you have medical equipment, things like um, monitors, like heart monitoring machines and things like that, or like new technologies, those are medical equipment. But when you're, you're there, you interact with doctors and PAs and Um, You have to know their language and their lingo and your companies, those companies usually um, create, they um, educate you and they almost like mold you to be able to communicate with physicians or with medical professionals. That way, when you are ready to go into your medical field or healthcare field, 
you already know the language, you know the mm-hmm. information because they make you learn it since you have to explain it because physicians and healthcare professionals and dentists, they're going to inquire, they're going to ask certain questions that you have to be able to answer as mm-hmm. a sales rep. So that's why it would be great to do a job, job like that before going to dental school or, you know, even medical school because you now know so much. You already know the inside. You know, you already know that. So it it will really help mold you. Um, yeah, even dental equipment sales, dental device sales, you know, all those sales positions. The reason why I say sales is because in dentistry, a lot of what we do is we have treatment plans that we create for our patients, and you have to make your patient understand why it's good for them to accept that treatment plan. And they might not be able to accept everything on it, but you have to take care of the, their health first, and mm-hmm. then they might want the like aesthetic part of it or the more cosmetic portion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can sell cosmetic work, but only once they've taken care of the bacteria in the control like the healthy oral cavity first that's be healthy before you can make it pretty so yeah you just kind of phase it in what you're doing like you phase the sales make it healthy first so they say oh i want a million dollar smile okay we have to get million dollar health before we get a million dollar smile you know Mm -hmm. so let's invest in the health part of it and then we can make you you know look beautiful that makes a lot of sense. I didn't um, realize how much of it is, you know, you basically convincing them that what you think is best for them is the best route to go. Because you, I mean, you just think about it, you, you would think like, hey, you come to the dentist, you know, you've got, you know, a toothache or you have mm-hmm. a cavity, they would just like accept the treatment plan. But that's very interesting that you you need to know how to explain it to them in order to get them oh, yeah. to buy into it. Big time. Especially because now there's WebMD and Google. Oh, yeah. You have a lot of, we call them Google Docs. You have a lot of <laughs> Google doctors out here. Well, they will challenge you <laughs> in your education and your four years postgraduate education. Oh, my goodness. They will be like, is this really necessary, doc? And I really commend them for doing the research. Yeah. You know, I do because it's important because I want to research anything that I'm recommended as well. But, you know, sometimes you feel like you know what's best for your patient. It just does take a little convincing. And those sales positions kind of teach you how to, you know, finesse people a little bit mm-hmm. or convince them. It it kind of ignites your gift of gab. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that can be beneficial. Yeah, that makes and I think sense. my sister, my sister has that, bec- and I think it's partially because of how good she was when she was a pharmaceutical sales rep. That's pretty cool. My um, my brother wants to eventually become a physician, but he did a um, like a I think it was like windows. He was selling windows. It's like a window mm-hmm. job and now mm-hmm. he does real estate and he's been saying like even before he took the sales job and he was like this is gonna help me and I'm gonna be I mean he mm-hmm. knew like, from the beginning like I'm gonna uh-huh. learn this this and that and I'm gonna learn how to deal with people and talk to people yep. so and um, it helped. 
yeah, you just definitely reinforce because he does definitely have a gift of Thank gap. You. He does he definitely developed that um from that job. So yeah, you definitely reinforce that even on, you know, the the dental side and and, yeah. and learning that. So that's pretty cool. Right. Thank you for that. So I don't have very many more questions. I think okay. like at the end, really. But um, what accomplishment are you most proud of? Mm. Okay. Wow. This is a really good question. Girl, you are you're making me think. <laughs> <laughs> um and accomplishing it I'm most proud of. I don't know if you would even consider it an accomplishment. Because I'm very proud of becoming a dentist. But I'm very proud of like being like maintaining my relationship with my parents. Because they've been my biggest support system. So I feel like that feels like more of an accomplishment. Like because every time I get something, I could do well, I could I could fail and I would still have them because of maintaining like I'm trying to always still treat them well in the midst of my stress, in the midst of everything. I feel like my accomplishment my biggest accomplishment is still having that family dynamic with my parents I don't know if that's even a good answer but I think that you know in your pursuit of something like doctorship you have to remember where you come from and I think I've never forgotten that Mm -hmm. so that is a big accomplishment for me and that you know oh I will say this when I was in dental school I had moments where I was very stressed out. And one of my lowest moments was like my third year. Um, I was so stressed out. And I was so stressed in that my dad sent me to Nigeria during Christmas break. And that was the best thing he could have done. It's like, he was like, no, I need you to go back home. And I went by myself. I traveled by myself and my mother was there and you know she was already there before me um though my parents don't live in Nigeria they live in the United States but Mm -hmm. my mom was just visiting at the time and my dad was coming after me and they just made sure I had the best time I could have um I went to different parts of Nigeria you know I went to the city like the big city Lagos Mm-hmm. And then I went to like our village, which is like more remote, kind of like the countryside, you know. Um, and my parents, uh, we have a home there, like a mm-hmm. big home. And my dad built that home. And he took, it, it's crazy when I look and see the home my dad built because it's so deep in the village, Jesus. I'm like, how did they <laughs> even get bricks over here? You know, but how did they bring anything to this place? But it's <laughs> It's amazing because that's how you know it's important to be connected to your ancestors, to your people, 
to your family. And I think maintaining that connection is something that's very important to me. So I think that was my biggest accomplishment. In the midst of all my accomplishments, I never forgot where I come from. Wow. That's amazing. That is that is very much something to be proud of. And I think that you saying that to me at this time was right on time. Oof. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely right on time. Wow. Uh, yeah. I appreciate this, girl. This made me I needed this for myself too. Like, goodness <laughs> gracious. No sug. Like you did awesome. Like your questions were very challenging. But I mean, you did an awesome job. I can tell you're going to get where you want to be. I can tell that. Just by the way you're answer, you're asking questions, the way you're thinking, the way you speak, everything, girl. Wow. You're on your way. You. <laughs> I'm serious. Good gracious. Well, I really, really, really appreciate you coming. Well, I said coming, like coming to the Shook Show. But, um, <laughs> for doing this, um, you are amazing. And I am definitely very much inspired by you. And I would like to keep in touch. Definitely. You can call me. You can text me whenever you have my information. I appreciate And I'm a supporter of the Shook Show now. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I have to blast you out, you know, so everybody can start listening to you. Yay! Thank you so (laughs) much. So I'm not going to hold you um, any longer, but I will definitely contact you soon. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Have a good night. Good night. What an awesome episode. Make sure you guys like the Facebook page for The Shook Show. Follow me on IG at MSB Alexandra. Follow The Shook Show on IG. And make sure you check out the blog. There's always going to be a blog post related to every podcast episode. I'm going to have updates on previous blog posts that I put out, previous um, volunteer opportunities, previous personal things in my life that I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with, I'm going through, I'm having fun with, I'm experiencing. So make sure you check out the website, www.theshugshow.com, and, you know, sign up for the newsletter.